Hallelujah. You are worthy of our praise. Is he worthy of your praise this morning? Is he worthy of your praise this morning? If he's worthy of your praise this morning, just bless the Lord. Like the psalmist says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. To the King of kings and to the Lord of lords, who is worthy of our praise. Amen, amen, amen. Well, greetings and welcome to each and every one of you to the church gathered here at Forest Baptist. With a privilege and honor to be with you once again, and like we like always say, good to see you, because it didn't have to be so. So we thank God for his grace, for his mercy, for his kindness towards us, and allowing us to come together once again to fellowship, to lift up holy hands, and to declare the goodness of God, for he is worthy of our praise this morning. Amen. Amen. Beloved, on yesterday we had a good time. We had our Christmas, not party, we had our Christmas party, and we had a good time. I'm so grateful for each and every person who volunteered, who, who picked up a piece of paper, moved a chair, helped with the table, brought a dish. So grateful uh, because times like those that are so good and uh, a joyful celebrations that when we come together, uh, it, it takes it takes hands, it takes sacrifice, it takes service. So uh, really grateful for all those who participated in that on yesterday. And then be mindful on next Sunday is our Christmas musical. Uh, we have uh, our Christmas choirs together to lift up holy hands to the Lord. So looking forward to see you there as well. For this morning, we ask that the Lord would indeed prepare our hearts for worship. There are so many distractions, so many things that get in the way, whether it be external or what I found is primarily internal. So won't you pray with me this morning as we ask the Lord to prepare us to receive his word that Jesus Christ would be magnified. Let us pray. Oh, gracious and eternal Father, King of kings and Lord of lords, the great Alpha and Omega, Lord, we come before you Singing hallelujah, for you are worthy to be praised. And Father, as we have come into your house of worship, this Lord's day, Lord, we ask that you would part your Holy Spirit. And that the prayer of our hearts would be not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your 
faithfulness. But Father, if it was up to us, our love is not steadfast and it's not faithful. It's not everlasting. Father, truth be told, we are wishy-washy. We're sometimes, we're broken and we're weak. Lord, but in Christ Jesus, we have all things in one. So Father, I ask that you prepare our hearts to receive your word by giving us a sense of gratitude. Father, we we don't have to be here. You didn't have to call us unto yourself. You didn't have to wake us up. You didn't have to put food on our tables or clothes on our back. Father, you didn't have to allow the car to make it here one more time. Father, you didn't have to keep us from all hurt, harm, and danger. Father, you didn't have to keep us from danger seen or unseen. But, Father, we just stopped by to say thank you for doing so. Thank you for giving us a right mind and that we are in a decent amount of health. We thank you that this is the holiday season where we can think about Jesus and just what you have done in your incarnation. For, Father, you didn't expect us to get to you, but you came to get us in the muck, in the mire, in the brokenness, and in despair. You came and got us. When we were not thinking about you, we were not worshiping you. When we had our back turned toward you, in spite of who we are, you have demonstrated your love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And for that, dear God, I just say thank you. I thank you for the incredible rescue mission from on high. That you saw us in need. And you didn't just stand there like a hapless bystander, but you came in. You stepped into time. The one who is eternal, outside of time, you stepped into our situation. That you would bring maximum glory into yourself and good for all of us. And Father, as we prepare for worship, may you remind us that we're not worthy, we're not deserving, but because of the incredible gift in Christ Jesus, your shed blood allows us to stand boldly before your throne of grace right now. And we ask, oh God, that your Holy Spirit would come, that you would open up blind eyes. Heavenly Father, I ask, I beg that you would open up deaf ears. That you would soften our hard hearts. Help us to love you. Help us to set our affections upon you. May we be passionate about the things of Christ. As you speak to us through your word. Father, I just love you. I love you, Lord. I love you. And I thank you. Now, Father, I ask that you would take my weakness, my brokenness, and allow the power of Christ to rest upon me right now as I stand right here and do war with Satan and his minions as your prophetic word goes forth to set the captives free,
to break yokes, to destroy strongholds in the name of Jesus. Right now, dear God, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would take every thought captive according to Christ. And that you would hide me behind thy cross. That Jesus would be lifted up. That men, women, boys, and girls would come running asking what must they do to be saved. We beg you these things right now in the matchless, in the mighty, in the magnificent, the miraculous name of Jesus the Christ, we do pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. 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 Hallelujah and glory to God for the great and wonderful thing. That he has done. Amen. As we are heading into the holiday season. There are many shows that we like to watch. Those movies we set aside time for each and every year. Because you know we creep as a habit. We got to watch our show and we got to see our movies. And when we take time to watch these movies and we enjoy ourselves, it kind of puts us in the holiday moods. Or, you know, but sometimes we have the opportunity to go to the actual theater where we don't have to wait for the movie to come on Netflix, Redbox, or on cable, but we actually have the opportunity to get out to the show. Now, the Bishop Six, it's a, it's, a, it's a privilege to get to the movie theater because it costs a whole lot of money to take all them folks. So when we go, we, we usually go to see a movie that we've been waiting for, something that has uh, excited us, something that we really want to go see. And, and this holiday season, there may be something that you really want to go see and you've been saving your nickels for, and you're looking forward to the moment where you can pull up to the movie theater you're eager to arrive. You're so eager that you bought your tickets ahead of time and you got them on your phone. You don't have to even wait in line. You, 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 you go to the uh, concession stand and you get that, that large popcorn and you feeling, you feeling uh, fine. So you say, uh, with extra butter. Let me get a, and one of them large super, super jumbo sodas too on the side. You walk into the movie theater and you find just the right seat. You know where you like to sit, the right view, the right sound, and you are eager, eagerly looking and awaiting for this movie to start. The lights begin to dim and you are ready to go. But just like every other movie you went to see at the movie theaters, the movie don't come right on. But what happens? You see the previews. And. People respond differently to previews. Some, some people really enjoy the previews. They get into the previews, and, they, and they're excited about what's coming, and some folks can't stand previews. Just show me the movie. I tell you what, I, I'm grateful for previews because it gives me that extra 15 minutes to get to my seat on time because I'm always late anyway. But when we do see the previews, we, we are seeing in present time the reality of something that's coming. And most people, as they are waiting to see these previews, they, uh, they don't really think about the purpose of a preview, but the purpose of a preview 
is that it, it, it creates an eager expectation of a movie to come by giving a glimpse of, the, of its material right now. By seeing the, a glimpse of the material right now, it creates within you an eager expectation of, oh, I want to see that. I got to come back to see that. Oh, I should come with such, a, such to see that. The, the purpose of a preview is to create some type of excitement within your heart. And when we come to the Advent season, the Lord is, is giving us some type of, of preview of expectation of what it will be like when we get to see him face to face and get to stroll up into the kingdom. And in a sense, the text that we will be looking at this morning, its whole purpose is to give us a preview to create within, within us a eager excitement, a sense of expectation of what is to come. See, on the heels of Jesus' wilderness temptation, Matthew gives us a preview of what is to come for the remaining portions of his gospel. In Jesus' ministry, his overarching theme has been the kingdom. The kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is coming to earth. Remember, when, when we think about the kingdom, there are two warring kingdoms, two warring factions that are doing battle right now. There's the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of Satan. There's no in-between kingdom. You, you don't get to make your little kingdom and say, well, I'm just going to hang out over here and, and, and we're just going to be independent. We're, we're, we're not going to get involved in the business. No, you're either a, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven or you're a citizen of the kingdom of Satan. We see these kingdoms coming into effect way back in Genesis 1. What is God doing in Genesis 1? In Genesis 1, God is constructing his kingdom. Genesis 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and, he, and, and the earth was without shape. It was uh, without form and void, and the Spirit of God was hovering over his creation. And God began to create his kingdom, and he begins taking pieces and constructing his kingdom. The text of Scripture says that God begins to open up the, the skies and, and prepare the, 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 the skies to set forth stars within the skies. And he begins to prepare the earth by separating the water from the dry land. And he creates this expanse as, as the sky as we know it. Know it. And, and then not only does God construct this kingdom, he begins to furnish this kingdom. He says he brings up every fruit, every shrub, every uh, plant. Then he begins to, to, to hurl the stars into the sky. He creates the sun and he creates the moon. And he begins to place the birds in the air and the fish in the sea. Then he begins to put animals on the earth. And, and the pinnacle of this creation, he places man and woman on the earth. He, he constructs this kingdom. Then he furnishes this kingdom but then also in, 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 in creating the man and the woman, God appoints authority over this kingdom. In Genesis 1, 27 and 28, he says, he, and he created the man and the woman, and they shall have dominion over all things. That's, that's what that word, that word dominion talks about. That's what that word dominion means. 
to say dominion is to have the language of kings and queens. What God is doing is creating a kingdom in Genesis 1. And he appoints the authority of, uh, uh, over this kingdom and he gives it to man and he gives it to woman. But then in Genesis 3, we see that Adam and Eve rebel against God's kingdom in an attempt to establish their own kingdom, right? This treasonous act leads to the infiltration of sin and death and the, the rule of another kingdom comes. And in this new kingdom, this kingdom that comes as a result of sin, now death enters into the kingdom and brokenness enters into the kingdom and violence enters into the kingdom and murder and all types of abuse enters into this kingdom because it is a kingdom that it, that is set for its own purposes. It is a kingdom that is only looking out for self. It is a kingdom that is only worried about getting mine. I ain't worried about yours because I'm going to get mine. This is a kingdom that is only concerned about self-glorification and self-preservation. This kingdom is all about me. This kingdom is all about you. And it's us trying to do what we want to do. This is what one scholar calls cosmic treason. This is a treasonous act that man and woman commits. But yet God in his mercy, God in his kindness, he says, even though you're trying to set up a temporary kingdom, I'm going to send a new king, and he's going to usher in my kingdom. And God promises a new king and that this new king will come and bring this new kingdom. So when we are looking at the text of scripture in Matthew, the fourth chapter, it's like a child leading up to, to Christmas morning. Surely the readers of Matthew's gospel look on with eager expectation Wondering what was to come next from King Jesus. What he's going to do next. With the entrance of God's heavenly kingdom. We begin to see this, this final victory over evil. This victory over brokenness and this victory over sin. In verses 12 through 25 of Matthew's gospel, the fourth chapter. These verses are a preview of what is to come. As the kingdom of heaven invades and, and God takes back his world. If you will turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew, the fourth chapter, beginning with verse 12. And we're going to read through verse 25, the rest of this chapter. And if you would, please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Matthew, the fourth chapter. Verses 12 through 25. This is. The word of God. Please hear the voice of God. Now when he, Jesus, heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulon and Naphtali or Naphtali. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region 
and shadow of death. On them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began, began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him, and going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went through Galilee, through, throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them, and, and great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. The subject of this morning's text for us is Jesus and the kingdom to come. Jesus and the kingdom to come. Here in the Gospel of Matthew, we see that Jesus has come. The Messiah has finally arrived. The, the, the kingly descendant of David. The heir of blessings from Abraham. The long-awaited son of God has come. He is the greater Moses. He is the new Israel, and he is the lone, sinless representative of all mankind. Jesus, he has come, and with the arrival of Jesus, Emmanuel, God gives us a preview of life in the kingdom of God. This is a preview of what is to come, and this is a preview that, that, that life is not centered around a location. But life will be centered around the person and work of Christ Jesus. See, understand that the kingdom of heaven is not just a spot. It's not just a place. The kingdom of heaven is a relationship with Jesus Christ. The, the fact that we are able to, to see him and to know him and to experience him. When we see the kingdom of heaven, it's just a synonymous to Jesus. One scholar explains it this way when he when he's talking about Jesus being synonymous with the kingdom of heaven, whenever we hear about a communication from the White House or, or, or the White House says, we, we don't think specifically of a White House. We don't just think about the, 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 the place where the president lives. When we hear a communication from the White House, we think about the president himself. So whenever we hear about the kingdom of heaven, we have to understand that we have a word from Jesus, that Jesus is showing us something about himself whenever he's talking about the kingdom at hand. So for the rest of this gospel, we will hear from Jesus what it, what it is like to be a citizen of his kingdom. What, what it's like to be in an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Matthew's invitation to his readers then and to us today is because Jesus has come. Enter into the kingdom of heaven and live. Because Jesus has come, enter into the kingdom and live. With the arrival of Jesus the Messiah, you and I, we're invited to be willing participants in what God is doing here on earth. But beloved, the first thing that we see in the text before us this morning is with the arrival of Jesus, you and I are invited into the kingdom of hope. The kingdom of hope. In verses 12 through 17, Matthew, uh, he, he lays out for us just what's happening in Jesus' ministry. Jesus, he, he relocates. He picks up and he moves. The text says, upon hearing the arrest of John, we don't know exactly why Jesus may have moved at that time. Was there uh, a new oppression for religious individuals? Uh, did he decide to move there? Was it because uh, uh, he wanted to be around more people? Because one thing, if we understand, Nazareth was a small town, a little small city, a little country city. And, and, but Capernaum was a, was a big city. It was on the sea. Uh, trade routes would go through Capernaum. So you were guaranteed to be in a city, uh, the big city. More people would be through it. And wouldn't, it wouldn't just be Jewish people. It would be all kinds of people in Capernaum. So it wasn't just one race, one ethnicity, all kind of people were coming. We don't know exactly why Jesus relocated, but what we do know and what we do understand that he moved there to fulfill the scriptures. Jesus is always going to do what the scripture says he's going to do. Beloved, that's just a tip for you and I. If the scripture said Jesus is going to do it, he's going to do it. It may not happen when we want to. It may not happen like we like it. But if Jesus said it, we can believe it. We can go to the bank with it. If, if it's in scripture, it's going to happen. If Jesus says that you are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, then you are a conqueror. If the, if the end of your book read like the end of my book, in the end we win, then we will be victorious. It, it just has to play itself out a little bit. So we see that what's taking place, as Matthew says, it was spoken of the prophet Isaiah, and he moves in order that all scripture might be fulfilled. This saying that the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, that they're dwelling in darkness. This, this text right here in your Bible is, is cited from Isaiah, the ninth chapter, in the first and second verse. See, in those verses, uh, we have a, what is called a, a, a double fulfillment. Because at the time in the Old Testament, uh, Assyria was coming in and invading Jerusalem, invading Judah, and they, they, they were taking over. So this invasion was taking place, this occupation was happening, and the people of Israel, the Israelites, were in a hard place. They were in a dark place. They were in a, a place of despair. Here, they have to get up and leave the land that was promised to them because of their disobedience. They were being disciplined because they had turned their backs on God. And Isaiah is quoting, uh, he is saying that, that, that though there is despair right now, hope is on its way. Hope is coming. You will not always be in despair. Turn with me to Isaiah, the ninth chapter. Isaiah, the, 
the ninth chapter, verses 1 and 2, Isaiah, he, he gives us these words and he says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter times, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen the great light. Those folks who were working, walking in brokenness, those folks who was walking in despair, those folks who was walking in depression, those folks who was just having a hard time in life, they were walking in darkness. They, they didn't know where their rescue was coming from. They didn't know where their, their help was coming from. All they could see in front of them was oppression. All they could see in front of them was an invasion. All they could see in front of them was despair. But yet the text says, those who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, those in the valley of the shadow of death, on them has light shone. But then Isaiah goes down. Just a few verses, and he hits verse 6, and he reminds us why they have light, why they have hope. And he's reminding them, don't, don't be worried about what's in front of you right now. Don't be worried about your, your current situation or circumstance. Don't get all wound up because things ain't going your way. Don't, don't, don't fear and tremble because you can't see the other side of the mountain from where you are right now. Because Isaiah says to them, for unto us a child is born. To us, a, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah was saying to the folks, you may be down and out right now, but I know somebody is coming, and they call him Wonderful Counselor. Because he says, if you ever got any kind of problems, he, you just bring it to the Lord's feet. If, if you have an issue of life, some type of emotion going on, bring it to the wonderful counselor. He's not just an ordinary counselor. He's a wonderful counselor. Because the wonderful counselor don't, don't get on your back because you're having a hard day. The wonderful counselor ain't, don't have your arm behind your back because you fall into sin. The wonderful counselor ain't walking up to you and saying, well, I told you so. No, the wonderful counselor says, do you need a shoulder to cry on? The wonderful counselor says, would you like to lay down on my couch? The wonderful counselor says, can I get you a cold cup of water? The wonderful counselor ain't trying to heap coals on your head, but the wonderful counselor just says, come. Come and find rest. Ye who are heavy laden, for I will give you rest. But not only is he the wonderful counselor, the text of scripture says that he is the mighty God. And he's mighty God because there's no situation or circumstance that he can't get rid of. There's no mountain he can't go over. There's no valley he can't step through because he's the mighty God. And if he's on your side, the same might that God walks with, the same power that he has in his heart, the same strength that God is bringing to bear in this world. When he is your counselor, he's your mighty God. Can't nobody stand up to God. It don't matter what scheme Satan has going on in your life. When God steps in, he will knock it out of the way because he's mighty God. Everlasting Father. He says, this is a daddy who won't walk out on you. 
When things get hard, this is a daddy who ain't going to leave you. This is a daddy who won't forsake you. This is a daddy who knows about his responsibilities, and he's willing to take care of his children no matter what. He's everlasting father. He's Abba. He's daddy. He says, come here, baby. I know you're having a hard day. Just, just rest on me. Everlasting father. His love don't get old, and his love don't grow cold. He's everlasting. Isaiah says, you can just call him Prince of Peace. Isaiah knows, he, he knows that their situation was full of chaos, full of conflict, full of drama. You, you, you have any drama? Anybody got any drama in their life? I, I know y'all, I know y'all, y'all good Christian folks. Y'all don't have a lot of drama in your life. But you know, some other folks in other churches may have a little drama in their life. But, but what he's saying is, is when you have drama in your life, when you don't call on, on Bebe and, and, and Ray Ray and, and your homegirl and your cousin, call on Jesus because they don't have no peace, but he is the Prince of Peace. Ha, I love that name. He's not the distributor of peace. He's not just the giver of peace. He's the Prince of Peace. You know what that means? He owns it all. He has a, a, a treasure trove of peace, willing to dispense it out to all who is in need. He's the Prince of Peace. Don't you know the God you serve? We serve the one who has all peace in his hand. You looking at everybody but scripture. You talking to everybody but your Christian friends. You're trying to find peace in the street, peace on the pipe, peace in the club, peace in the bed. When he says you need to look to glory, to the Prince of Peace. Invasion is, is all around. And Isaiah, he is, he is quoting this for them, but he's not only quoting this for the Old Testament saints, he's quoting this for New Testament. Here you have the Jews, you have Israel, they're, they're under Roman occupation. Their homeland has been invaded. You ever feel like your homeland has ever been invaded? You feel like your house has ever been invaded? The Romans are in their backyard, they have taken over. Not only, not only have the Romans taken over, but the Romans decided to tax them for living on their own land. They're under, always under the constant threat. They're always in danger because of what's going on right now. This is a period of invasion, but then also this is a period of spiritual exile. Prior to Matthew's gospel, it had been, been some 400 years before anyone had heard a word from the Lord at all. They've been in a spiritual wilderness. No one's, no, they haven't heard a prophet say anything. They haven't heard what God is doing, what God wants to do with them. And, and they are in the midst of a hard and dark season. But yet Jesus has come. Jesus has come, and he is the one who brings them light. And not only for the Old Testament saints, not only for these New Testament saints, but, but Isaiah's prophecy is for us right now. Because you may be in a season of spiritual invasion. You just don't have the fire you're used to for the Lord. 
Things just been heavy and weighty on your back, and you just don't feel like praying like you used to. You feel like you can't think right. You're not making the right decision, and everything you touch, it, everything you touch doesn't turn to gold. Everything you touch turns to coal, and, and you're, you're having a hard time of life, and you just feel weary and dry. And, and, and you, you, you're like the deer panting for, for water. You, 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 you don't know where to look. You, you're in a spiritual wilderness. And maybe you feel like you're in a spiritual exile. Don't nobody get you. Don't nobody understand you right now. They don't know my struggle. They don't know my burden. They don't know my hurt. They don't, they don't know what happened to me 15 years ago. They don't know what I've been carrying since I've been a child. They don't know my struggles. And they don't know my pain. Can't nobody relate with me. Beloved, Jesus just stopped by today to say he knows. And he cares. See, it's one thing to know about somebody's problem, but it's another thing to be to have the power to do something about somebody's problem. And Jesus has stopped by, and he wants you to know that he's your wonderful counselor. He's your everlasting father, and he is your prince of peace. He knows what is going on. So when the text tells us that there is a great light, that, that, that a, a, a new light has dawned, that though hell and hot water has been in your way, when Jesus shows up, the kingdom of hope has come. The hope of heaven is here. Matthew wants us to, to have the same posture as the psalmist in Psalm 73. What does the psalmist say in 73? He says, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. He says, he's saying that, that can't nobody give me more. There's nothing in this world that can satisfy me. There's nothing in my present reality that can keep me, that can hold me, that can give me a joy, that can give me a peace. There, there's nothing in front of me. There's Nothing on the side of me. There's nothing behind of me. That's going to help me. But, but what does he say? Whom I, have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. I may fall now. And I may be weak. But he says, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The psalmist is saying he, he has a hard posture that, that, that I, I look to heaven not because it's the location. I look to heaven because my, that's the heavenly dwelling place of my God. He says, wherever you are, God, I just want to be. Though so the, the situation is hard, the, the valleys are low, God, I, I just want to be with you. I just want to dwell with you. I just want to love on you, Jesus. I just want to hold on to you, Jesus. This world really doesn't have anything to offer me. This is that holy expectation, that preview of heaven, the, the kingdom to come. But then Jesus does one more better. 
Because in verse 17, the light is not just who he is, but the light is what he does. Because through his shed blood, he is able to take away all your sin and all of your guilt and all of your condemnation. What, 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 Jesus is his first words to the folks. His first word, what is Jesus' first words in ministry? If you look back and you think about your first words on the job, uh, the first words of, 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 of a public official, those first words seem to be important, right? First words and last words. What are Jesus' first words to the people? His first words is, repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What is he saying? He's saying that because I have showed up, you have, it, you have the opportunity to turn around. Had Jesus not come, we were, how they say, headed to hell with gasoline drawers on. When no one will be able to turn us, no one will be able to stop us. But because Jesus came, because he showed up as Mary's little baby, because he was born in the manger, we have the opportunity, we have the, the privilege to repent. To agree with God about how he feels about sin. That's a privilege. But because when, when you understand that you messed up from the flow up, when you, when you understand that you ain't living right, when you understand that you a low-down, dirty dog, see, that's a good thing. Because it's folks out there who low down dirty dogs and don't even know it, so they're going to keep living that way. But God and his grace and in his mercy has done something in your heart to illuminate your eyes, to, to, to have a, 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 a spirit that is convicted to say, nah, you know that was wrong. Now you know you should have said sorry. Repent. Those are life and light giving words. Repent. Stop. Pause. Turn. You're headed over the cliff. Turn. You ain't got to go that way no more. Sin no longer rules and reigns here. Because my kingdom has come, I have showed up to set the captives free. Repent. And we're repenting because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. A new kingdom. New authority. New rule. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The, the kingdom full of grace. A kingdom full of truth, the kingdom full of mercy, the kingdom full of kindness, the kingdom full of gentleness, that, that kingdom full of long-suffering or patience, that, that kingdom that, that allows you to function and move in this broken world because the kingdom of hope reminds you that this world ain't my home anyway. And even though it's jacked up and messed up, that I got a home in glory land that outsides the sun. I got a place. And I got somebody who loves me. 
And I got somebody who wants me. They love me even in the midst of my mess. They love me in the midst of my brokenness. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is a kingdom of deliverance from the chaos of this world. Beloved, the greatest hope that we have in Jesus is that through him we have life. Beloved, all through Matthew's gospel, we see periods of time where Jesus brings hope in hopeless situations. Beloved, we see all throughout the gospels, Jesus showing up and bringing hope to the hopeless. One of my favorite passages to look through is Mark, the ninth chapter, where the father brings his, his demon-possessed son to Jesus' feet. He has been everywhere looking for help, and no one can help him. Not even Jesus' disciples can help this man and this son. But what does he do? Does, does his hope stop with the disciples? See, your hope in Christ don't stop with me because I'm a failure and I'm broken and I'm going to mess some stuff up and I'm going to do you wrong. But don't let your hope stop here. Let your hope go forward to Jesus because the father presses into Jesus. And in verse 22, he, he's talking to Jesus and he says, and, it, and he's talking about this demon and he says, and it has often cast him into fire. And into water to destroy him. And then, and then the father says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. That seems like a reasonable request, right? That seems like it's something good to ask Jesus. But, but what we fail to realize is that Jesus has already demonstrated his power. He, he shouldn't have to ask if you able. So Jesus reminds us and Jesus said to him, if you can, if I can, do you know the, who I am? All things are possible for one who believes. And, and see, see, this needs to, verse 24 needs to be our prayer. Verse 24 is my prayer because there's some days I don't believe Jesus can do it. I, can I just be honest as a pastor? Sometimes when I look at not your life, when I look at my life, I'm just not convinced Jesus can do it. I'm not convinced that God can turn my emotions and God can make me love the things that I should love and hate the things that I should hate. And, I, and there's a period that where I don't, I don't believe, but I pray that my prayer, your prayer, will be like this, this father's prayer. In verse 24, he says, immediately the father cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. See, that's the question today. Say, I believe. But, Lord, there's times why I, I, I don't believe God. Oh, Lord, there's, there's times why I don't believe my child is coming back. Lord, there's times why I don't believe the cancer will be gone. Lord, there's times why I don't believe that I'm going to have a job. There's times that I, I don't believe that this salvation is as good as you say it is. Lord, I believe. I just need you to help my unbelief. who we are there's times in our life where we see the promises of God right there and it's like he's speaking to us 
And he says things like, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But God, I feel alone. He said, there's times in your life where he says, I, I will not put on upon you more than you can bear. But God, it feels real heavy right now. And he says that nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. But Lord, don't you know what I did last night? Beloved, in times like these, we got to pray like this father pray. Lord, I, I believe. I know what you've done. I was there when you did it. When I look back over my life, I see where you brought me from. I, and I see what you brought me to. And I know you want to do something else for me. But Lord, it's been a hard week. Lord, things ain't going right. I believe that you got the power. And I believe that you can. Lord, just help my unbelief. Just help me on these low moments. Just help me when my heart is heavy. Just help me when my mind is just going out of control. Help my unbelief, God. Help my unbelief when I see the news. Help my unbelief, Lord. When I see the violence in the street, help, help my unbelief, Lord. When I see marriages falling and failing, Lord, help my unbelief. When I see the brokenness, Lord, help my unbelief because you said that you're coming back. And when you're coming back, you're going to make all things brand new. You're going to take care of all the, the sickness and the oppression. The, the, the brokenness and the foolishness, you're going to take care of it. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Beloved, Jesus is inviting you. And Jesus is inviting me to experience the hope of his new kingdom today. Today. With Jesus' arrival, what he's saying is, there's a tension of the kingdom coming. There is an already and not yet. The not yet says, there are some things that still jacked up in my life and in this world. But the already reminds me that I have already overcome what's in this world because my Savior has overcome already. Because my Jesus got up on the third day, and because he is, he is at the right hand of the Father interceding on my behalf right now, I can keep going. How, how, how does the song say, because he lives? Because he lives. I can face tomorrow because he lives. All guilt, hurt, and shame is gone. Not because I live. Not because you live. But because he lives. Jesus is inviting us to experience the hope of a new kingdom right now. And he says, enter into the kingdom and live. He says, come. Come. Beloved, where are you today? We ain't going to finish this week. 
And I ain't going to try to squeeze it in. Jesus is inviting us into this kingdom of hope. And, and, and the hope is not based upon what we see. The hope is not based upon what we can do. The hope is not based upon my abilities. But the hope is based upon the one who died for you, your sins and for my sins. The hope is based upon the God-man, Jesus Christ. It is based upon his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That's why our hope is real, because Jesus really got up. If he had stayed there, you wouldn't have no hope, but he got up. And because he got up, we don't hope in a mystery. We don't hope just to have hope. We are hoping in a real, live Savior who is living right now, who wants to invite you into this kingdom of hope. We serve a faithful Savior. We serve a Savior who wants to be with us today and not just tomorrow. We have a Savior who's worried about your current situation, and he ain't saying, oh, you just need to get over it. No, he says, I'm going to walk with you through it. Our hope and our help is in Christ Jesus. But the way that we experience that kingdom life is when we repent. When we say, Lord, I, I, I believe you when you say I'm a sinner. I believe you when you say that I've been separated from you because of my disobedience. And, but I believe also that you didn't leave me there, but you sent Jesus Christ to die that death which I so deserve. It should have been me up on the cross, but you went up on the cross in my place. You atoned for my sin with your life. And when you died, all of my sins, my past, present, and future sins was placed upon you. And when you went to the grave, so does my sin. And when I repent and trust in you for the forgiveness of sin and salvation, that I have access to this kingdom of hope. Is that you today? Is that you? Uh, are you struggling believing? Press into Jesus and confess, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Because the kingdom of hope is real. Father, thank you for who you are and for your word, for the privilege to break this bread of life with your people. But Father, even as we are in the Christmas season, it's a heavy season. I ask that you would give us clear eyes to see this kingdom of hope that you have so willingly provided in Christ Jesus. Lord, I ask this morning that you would not only remind us of your truth, but you will convict us of the truth. That we must repent and turn towards you for the forgiveness of sin. So, Lord, if there's one here today that has not trusted you for salvation, have not made a profession of faith, may they do so today, knowing that only you can save them. And 
Father, there's one who's just struggling because of sin, because of the various issues of life. And Lord, I ask that you would just minister to them and remind them of the hope that they have in Christ already. Father, we do love you and we do thank you. In the precious name of Jesus, we do pray. Amen.